Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. When they do the census, when the federal government does the census, they don't release all of it at once. They set out certain amounts, certain things, in income or where people live or all that. They do it bit by bit. Well, there's some that's out and recently, and Steve Buse, who's an outstanding reporter with the Hamilton Spectator, has been diving into the numbers. There's a headline on the piece on the spec. Do we have enough workers? One in five Hamilton residents are over 65. One in five Hamilton residents is over 65. You can probably, just by hearing that, understand that this may not be the healthiest scenario for a city. Let me bring in Steve, um, owner of, I think, more national newspaper awards than I have digits. But uh, anyway, he is uh, he is with us now. Steve, how are you today? Good, Scott. How are you? I am, look, I'm okay. I, I'm reading this story, though, and I'm thinking to myself, um, what I'm trying to figure out what this means and what it seems to me, the first two things that pop to mind is one, our medical bills are going to go way up in the city soon if they haven't already. And two, we're going to have a lot more people retiring or if they haven't already, which probably means less money to spend for the economy. Um, so far, so good as well, yeah, as for my estimation. Yeah. Okay. What else? Well, you know, so it's, it's not just, um, you know, the fact that there'll be more people retiring, you know, as you alluded to right at the start, it's okay. So who replaces those people? And, um, it's not going to come from babies, um, because, you know, that's, that's been a downward trajectory for several decades now. You know, the number uh, we're, we're mm-hmm. not even at, uh, replacement levels in terms of births. Um, you know, we're, we're not having enough births to replace the population that we have now. So, you know, that really leaves, you know, in the case of a city, it really leaves, uh, only two ways it can happen. And one is, you know, getting people from elsewhere in your country to come to you or getting people from other countries to come to you. And, um, you know, in the case of Hamilton, there's been, you know, some of the former, um, you know, I did a piece not too long ago about, um, you know, migration patterns uh, into and out of Hamilton. Um, but it also means that, you know, we're, we're going to need to attract more people from other countries. And, you know, that raises issues for people. And uh, certainly this is a polarized time, not just in our country, but everywhere about, you know, these kinds of issues. Um, you know, I think most rational people would say immigration is a good thing. Um, you know, it, it provides us with the people that we need to do the jobs that we have. So, yeah. yeah but Hamilton... And, and, Hamp- but Hamilton finds itself in a very difficult situation, even with that, Steve, because um, not to venture too far afield here, but we all know all about our housing prices and not everybody from every other country in the world could come here and even afford to live here, even if they wanted to. No, you're absolutely right. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, Hamilton is better than Burlington, which is slightly better than Oakville, which is slightly better than Mississippi. You know, mm. it's it's this, you know, it's unfortunate that it's like this, but it's, you know, these concentric rings that come out from, you know, the city of Toronto, the, you know, the largest place around. You know, there's a, a, a Western University professor, I think his name's Mike Moffat, and he coined the term that, that's become popular. It's, you know, basically when it comes to housing, it's, you know, drive drive until you can afford a mortgage. Um, you know, the idea being that you just keep going further and further and further away. And, and of course with Hamilton, it's happening as well. I mean, people are being pushed out of the city of Hamilton and, and, you know, um, 
I think the piece that I did showed that, um, you know, there are thousands in the last five years, there are thousands more people that have moved to Niagara from Hamilton than the reverse, you know, people who have moved from Niagara to Hamilton. Um, and those are people that are, you know, maybe in many cases being pushed out by the cost of housing. And when we think of housing, you know, a lot of us just think of the, the, the price of a house. Um, but it's a lot more than just the price of a house. It's rents and, you know, those sure. are the things that have, that have gone crazy. Absolutely. And, and I mean, that is absolutely, so that, that's one of them. That's, and that's a huge effect, whether it's, you know, getting people to fill jobs or all those other things. You, you've put so many things into this piece. I want to move to a couple things. Uh, people can contemplate that one while we're getting to this next one. You pointed out that um, in this, through the numbers, through the census numbers, that there is a significant disparity in income from people living in the old city of Hamilton, the traditional city of Hamilton, and the suburbs, Ancaster, Dundas, Flamborough, Glanbrook, Stony Creek, uh, a big difference in the in income in those. Question that immediately popped to my mind was, okay, at, my, at first blush, I'm thinking, well, that's got to be wrong somehow, not wrong numbers, like that's got to be a bad thing. Is it a bad thing or is it just where people have chosen to live and they're going to live somewhere, so what difference does it make? Well, so that would be one way of looking at it, but I, I think that anyone that looks at this would say, if you have situations where there are, you know, 60% differences in, you know, the, the earnings of people from one part of the city to, to another part of the city, I'm not sure that that's really a healthy thing for your city. Um, it's, it's just going to continue to perpetuate things. You know, I don't want to keep banging the drum, but you know, it's, it's all the stuff that, that, you know, the spectator reported with code red, you know, and, and the links between, you know, your income and your health. And, you know, if we continue to have these, these great disparities across the city, I'm, I fear that we're just not going to make any, any progress on dealing with some of these other issues. And, you know, some of the things that we're talking about income, health, et cetera, are tied to age as well. And, and you can't, you can't divorce that from the, from the equation. I mean, you know, right now it's scary because, you know, as you mentioned right off the top, we've got roughly one in five people being, you know, a senior citizen in Hamilton. And, you know, those are people that are often on fixed incomes at a time when inflation is eight or 9%. And, you know, their fixed incomes aren't going up or changing by eight or 9% per year. And so, you know, it's it's probably, you know, one of the things that's in the piece, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, is, you know, while we have made strides in reducing poverty across the city in general, um, se- you know, seniors' poverty has actually increased in the last five right. years. And that's that's taken from data, like financial data from 2020, when the pandemic was just starting. I shudder to think what the poverty situation is for seniors right now who have had two years of you know, rapidly increasing prices with, you know, static um, incomes that don't change. And so, um, you know, that's worrisome. That's That means that, you know, people may be becoming unhealthier uh, as they become poorer, as they find it more and more difficult to live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their housing costs are going up. Um, so, you know, and that's it, a great conundrum. That's a great conundrum, isn't it, Steve? Because you, you have people who point to the older people and they say, look, they own a house that's worth a million dollars, but they probably bought that house when it was $50,000, but they're now having to pay the bills of a million dollar home that they don't necessarily have the money. It's not a liquid asset. 
so yeah, it becomes well, a real conundrum for them. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not even talking like when you look at um, at seniors who are living in poverty, low income seniors in Hamilton, the you know the bulk of them are renters, not owners, and so they True. don't have that uh, that big nest egg that they can sell and and you know bank a million dollars. We're talking about people who don't have that asset at their fingertips, and so you know they they are literally dependent on that fixed income, whatever they're getting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're low income seniors, it probably means that their income is whatever they're getting from old age security, uh, you know, whatever top ups they get from that disability supports, or, you know, perhaps some modest Canada pension plan payments, you know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's even worse than what you're saying, because, you know, the, the people who are most affected are the ones that don't have that cushion. Yeah, and, and we got to run, but there's just one line here that I, I got to ask you if this was a typo, and I'm sure it wasn't, but it was staggering. Um, in the downtown tract bounded by, okay, picture this, James and King and Cannon and Wellington, 60, 60% of seniors are living in poverty. Is that, yeah, that, is that really yeah. true? That is true, yep, yep. That's, and that's not, you know, as shocking as that might be for you, that, that's not all that shocking. I mean, going back to the first Code Red, you know, that we published back in 2010. I mean, we had neighborhoods in Hamilton where 50% of kids lived in poverty. Um, you know, so that's, it's, it's shocking. It should be shocking to people. It should be something that, you know, <laughs> causes a great outcry, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunately true. The, uh, I wish we had a lot more time and uh, we will, I'm, I'm sure Steve will be back uh, the next time we do this, or if not before. Uh, the piece is called, Do We Have Enough Workers? One in five Hamilton residents are over 65. You can read it at thespec.com right now. It's in the paper. Uh, Steve, always appreciate it. Thanks for taking time today. Great job. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You imagine it's 30 years ago since the Blue Jays won their first World Series. It, 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 it seems impossible that it's that long ago but among those players who former players who will be coming up to toronto to join the celebration the group will not include roberto alomar why well you may or may not recall you probably do that a number of years ago um he was accused of some sexual misconduct and got booted basically from any connection to the team and the team even took down his name from the wall of excellence. I want to bring in Steve Foxcroft, who is a sports commentator. He's a official, an NFL official. He does all kinds of stuff. Joins us now. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing great, Scott. Good to connect again. Yeah. So I can completely get behind the idea that you can't really under the circumstances, you can't really bring Roberto Alomar up here as part of this because it just becomes awkward then. I mean, how do you, even though you're cheering for his play on the field, how do you cheer for someone that did something apparently totally out of line and wrong and everything? It, it be, Having him there and cheering, you can't really separate the man from the action, correct? Are you on board so far with what I'm saying? Yep, I am totally on board with that. It's a very difficult and tricky situation. And I, I want to know, are you going to touch on the thing that kind of put me off of him before that was the incident with the umpire and spitting. 
Well, there, there was that, although that sort of got forgiven. Uh, right. But yeah, that he, he when he was with, um, he was with Baltimore at the time, as I recall, right? I thought, he had already moved I, to Baltimore. Yeah. yeah um, but okay, so you, the the issue of you, you can't bring him up here in person because you're going to have to then decide whether to cheer for him. And if you do, then the whole crowd and everyone who's cheering looks like they are somehow endorsing or excusing misbehavior. You can't do that. But the bigger question to me, or at least the other question is, they've taken his name down off the wall of excellence. As, you know, certain people, uh, uh, Alan Eagleson, for example, was taken out of the Hockey Hall of Fame for things that he did. We've seen this at other times. Leaving aside the in-person visits, should someone who was honored by a team, by a league, whatever else, lose that honor later on because of their behavior if they do something wrong or do you say no you know what that person's in the hall of fame for what they did on the field and we can put an asterisk we can put a note but we can't take them out because we put them in this gets very tricky and leave it to scott radley to come up with something that gets your minds going because uh that's what it is this is a thinking person's issue and i think you have to look at it case by case and i'll go right down the road to buffalo where O.J. Simpson yep. is still on their wall of fame. And it's tricky because he never got convicted in criminal court. He did in civil court. Um, so, and they still have him up there. So, but even if, you, even if you don't say that he's a... Even if you believe that he's not a murderer, there is no question from either trial that he was a wife abuser, mm-hmm. which would be surely... In this day and age, that by itself would be enough, you would think, if you were going to remove someone. All right? So, okay, carry on. So I agree with that. And then there's other, there's so many other cases. And the other one that quickly comes to mind is Deshaun Watson of the Cleveland Browns. Like, and how he got, and it was so crazy how he got six games, now it's up more. And then when he comes back to play, it's in Houston. Yeah. So... It's either in Houston or versus Houston. I think it's in Houston, though. And did the thought process go into that? Because now are they just trying to make it a big deal and get ratings from it? Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's what it looks like to me. And that, that disgusts me as well. Well, because 11 is a weird number. 11 is a weird number of games. I mean, even if it was 12, you say, okay, now we're up to three quarters of a season where it makes a round number or something. You're right. It, it's, but okay. So Deshaun Watson, great example for those who don't know, Deshaun Watson has been accused by what is it? 20, 22, 24 yeah. massage therapists that he did inappropriate things during the massage. I'm not sure, and I'd have to go back and read the allegations against Alomar. I'm not sure that Alomar's allegations are a whole lot different, not in a massage context, but sort of that kind of thing. And yet he is not allowed anywhere near the team. And Deshaun Watson in 11 games is going to be back on the field playing football for millions of dollars. That that one is uh, one that I just look at and shake my head as well. Now, getting back to the Blue Jays, they have been consistent for the most part as an organization when things similar to this come up, right? Uh, they've lost a color commentator, the analyst they got rid of. They had the mm-hmm. relief Zonia. pitcher um, that they traded away, and he was a young and up-and-coming guy. So, you know, the one thing for them is they've been consistent, and 
it gets back to me to the O.J. Simpson thing because, as you know, I go down to Buffalo week in and week out and stand in that stadium, and I see his name up on the Ring of Honor, and then just, it kind of sets a precedent for me in a, in a weird way that, wow, they're doing this to Robbie Alomar and taking his name down, and he was he's the Hall of Famer of the bunch. Yeah, see, I'm, I, 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 I go that way. I agree with that. I don't think that his name should have been taken off the the wall of honor, the wall of excellence. I don't think that Alan Eagleson, frankly, should have gone out of the Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't think, I mean, look, if you're going to start taking people out of halls of fame or out of places they've been honored for bad behavior, uh, you're going to have to go back into the 1930s in baseball and 20s and 40s. And there are a lot of guys that probably said something that by today's standards would be egregiously racist. Well, how do you not take them out? Because they are bad people who did very bad things or said bad things. Or, you know, how many people do we not know necessarily until if someone really dug that they were inappropriate with a woman? It, it's it is tricky, but it's also to me, once you've honored someone for their play on the field, that's what you're all, that's what it's there mm-hmm. for. I, you don't have to have that person there in, in person, but somehow I just, it seems to me weird that all of a sudden you said they were good enough to put them there, but now for something that is unrelated and OJ Simpson's a great example. I mean, if OJ Simpson is still up anywhere, everyone else kind of has to be. Um, I don't know. It, it just it's it seems like an odd one to me. That's the benchmark I think we've come up with, right? Is the O.J. Simpson one? And I agree. I lean towards you, and I agree with you because we could go on and on and on with the examples. And yeah, he was a hall. He was like, if you talk to me, what's one of the best baseball players you've seen play live? Well, Robbie Alomar is right up at the top of the list, and maybe the the guy I would answer, and I wouldn't say to you like because you wouldn't preface it with but he had to be a good citizen too and he had to be this no he was the best baseball player that's why he's on the wall of fame and i and i agree with you and lean that way because and it also keeps it prominent in the news to say yeah but this happened as well but it wasn't on the field and so on so i agree with you that i would leave him up there i really would yeah, and it's not to excuse him, and I don't think yep. you're saying, I know you're not saying that, I'm not no. saying that. It's not to nope. say, well, it doesn't really matter what he did. Mm-hmm. It's, you're right, if they if the wall of excellence was listed as wall of excellence on the field and also a wonderful guy in the community, then okay, then we can have a maybe a different discussion, but, and maybe somewhere in the small print, if there is small print, maybe it says that. But I think to every fan... They think the people who are up there are up there because of what they did on the field, period, period. Do you think this will lead to people and teams getting rid of walls of excellence and that kind of, you know, retirement thing? Because, you know, you could almost get to that stage of the game and say, we're just not going to have it, period. Like... Ben just whispered a mirror while we're talking. Like, we've got statues of Sir John A. Macdonald coming Mm -hmm. down. Um you know, I like, and again, whether you agree or disagree, it's a very similar thing. I, 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 I just, if you really wanted, if, if you're, if we're going to do this, I think there's an awful lot of other people that in all sports are going to have to be looked at and taken out. And how did and, you feel a week ago when Pete Rose was allowed and got permission to be on the field? I was disappointed with how he behaved 
and in his interview because he went off in a weird way that well, of I course didn't he think did he would. But I guess of course he years did. of pent up frustration from his side. But how did that make you feel when he was allowed on? Yeah, no, I, I look, I, as I said, I'd love to hear from people what they think of this, mm-hmm. whether they agree with him, with Alomar not being there, but agree with us or disagree with us about his name remaining on the wall of excellence. I, I'm, I'm, or his number being retired or all those things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I am for those things that that's something that is done and is there and he doesn't even have to be around. It just is, it's what he did. He did that. And if, here's the thing, we got to run. If you really, if you really, to the nut of the issue, believe so strongly that Roberto Alomar should not have in any way or should not in any way be part of that, why don't you then go to the Atlanta Braves and later to the Philadelphia Phillies and say, you know, we had a guy on our team that did horrible things. We are going to forfeit our championships to you because he carried us to those. And therefore, we don't feel good about keeping those championships. And that will never happen. That's a very well put, right? And and let's be clear. We're not saying we, we agree with the part about not including him in, in ceremonies yeah, absolutely. and celebrations. We, we, that's how we feel. I agree. Got to run. Got to run. Okay. Steve Foxcroft, always appreciate it. Thanks. Likewise. Talk soon. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I was reading a piece in The Atlantic, which is uh, it's a terrific online magazine. They have some great writing and some great articles. And I, it was the, it was the headline that grabbed me at first. The headline was the HGTVification of America. Well, I've, I got to read what this is now. And I think that as I read it, you could say it could also have been the HGTification of Canada. And so what we're talking about here, let me, well, let me read a little bit. I can't read the whole thing. It's a long article. Let me read you a paragraph or so from this, what we're talking about. If you, like me, have frittered away a frankly embarrassing proportion of your of one wild and precious life watching women with perfect blowouts and annoying husbands gut reno houses on HGTV, or idly scrolling through Zillow listings you have no intention or ability to buy, then you know that the gray floors rarely travel alone with them you'll likely also find one or more of a handful of other design flourishes that tend to get stuffed into the same dwellings. A subway tile backsplash, upper kitchen cabinets replaced with minimalist open shelving, a shower stall covered in tiny multicolored sheets of glass mosaic tile, a barn door gliding along a faux rustic decorative track instead of turning on hinges. And on and on and on, you get that. You see the same thing if you go on realtor.ca, gray floors, distressed wood, granite granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. You you could picture this in your head, right? It's so much of a template now that you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm not sure if my next guest loves this or hates this. He is the creative principal at Glenn Peloso Design. You see him time to time on CHCH Morning Live. He is a designer. He's really good at it. And he's a great guest to have on. We love having you here. Glenn Peloso, thanks for joining us. It is a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm great. And I read this piece, and it was a fascinating piece. And I would encourage people to go look it up online. Uh, has HGTV ruined everything? <laughs> I, I don't think. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that the pandemic and a few other things probably get a little bit of space in the ruined everything <laughs> quote. But you know, I, I think HGTV has has given it the good old college try. No, I, I think that. Um, I mean, I think that he's a little bit read, right. I did read the same article, and I thought, and I thought he was not only very funny, but um, he he makes a really good point about sort of 
you know, the, the people flipping houses, the percentage of people flipping houses in the market in general. He, he quotes it as, you know, 10% of people buy houses to flip or to turn into something that's going to be rental. <clears throat> and so a little bit, I, I think that um, his economic point is, is well made. And I, I mean, but the HGTV, like, I, I, I agree to, so I'll, I'll go this way. I think that there's sort of three things to an HGTV. One, it's a show. So yes. it's trying to get audience members to sit and watch the show. And in truth, I mean, I could have a really sort of nice, calm person be the host of HGTV show, or I could have a woman with a big blowout who's forever screaming at her husband, who's apparently an idiot because he doesn't understand the difference between this finish and that finish. It's entertaining. So in the end, there, there is the entertainment portion. And then there's the portion where I need a personality. So I get the wacky, well, I shouldn't say the wacky, I've done these shows, so, well, maybe I am a part of the wacky group. Um, <laughs> um, but there is a, a portion of that, which is I just need somebody who is a host, who's going to be interesting and entertaining time after time after time. By the time, you know, we did uh, Take This House and Sell, I think we did for, I don't know, eight season so you needed to be you know it needed to, to, to be relative and, and and interesting and then there's the third portion which is the house and the house's final new owner or however we renovate the house so i, I think you know sort of saying HD, making hgv the problem with it all is is a little bit unfair because they're all you know in, in effect the audience that watches it said what they wanted and absolutely no that's right. that is true no question right. they, they wouldn't be doing it if there wasn't an audience for it so where the, where the question yeah, they do they, and they're they've obviously got great ratings because they've made so many shows that are similar to each other and yet people must still right. be watching them so it's got to have connected but <laughs> the, the one thing from a design for you're in design a lot of people you know either think they're a good designer or they are right. a good designer or maybe both um, yeah. No matter what shows you watch now, whether it's HGTV or any other show on flipping houses or redoing houses, there's a million of them. It yeah. does seem that in 2022 and for the last number of years, they ultimately almost all or a great percentage of them end up looking remarkably similar, don't they? There is a almost a template now to what you do. There is absolutely that. And, and, it's, and it's kind of, I mean, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, I sort of go, oh, Great. It's another thing that looks like, you know, a slightly cloudy day, a very cloudy day, a clear <laughs> day, because they decided to put in a little bit of blue. But often it's, you're just sort of like, wow, it, it feels a little soulless. Like I'm like, wow. I mean, I mean, there's lots of interesting ideas. But, you know, what happens is um, you have a very specific amount of time in order to be able to accomplish the show. And the bad part is, you know, I think that there are all way too many people who think that, you know, we're going to renovate the bathroom. It's going to cost $3,000 and it'll be done in, you know, 23 minutes. And it never <laughs> happens like that. It's, you know, I, I mean, long ago when I did a show about restaurants, this is a really popular show called Restaurant Makeover, and people would call, and I had done a bunch of restaurants professionally, and people would call and say, hey, you know, we saved up $32,000 or $35,000 and we rented this old space that used to be a dress shop and we want to put in a restaurant. And I would think, okay, I'm sorry that you watched that show because that doesn't happen. They say, well, you know, we saw it on television. And I say, listen, I saw Santa and the Easter Bunny on television too, and they're not real either. <laughs> it's just how it is. So, 
you have a certain amount of time in order to be able to accomplish it. So if I'm going to look at this whole house and I'm going to think, hey, I'm going to take out all of the floors and then I'm going to have somebody come in, or I'm going to leave all the floors, have them all sanded and restained uh, to a, you know, a medium warm brown, earthy-like. Um, but that's going to take, you know, I have five days to shoot this thing, and three of those days are going to go to just the floor. Can't afford, don't have time for that. But the laminate, that, that sort of click-in, grayed-out laminate, that you see everywhere. I can just go over top of what exists. I could just throw it in quick and it gives me a dramatically different effect. So I came to the house with a yep. dark brown floor and then I leave and they're light gray. And so I get a really good before and after from the point of view of the show. So it's, it's facile. It's not, it's not great. And so end up what I finally end up with in the final analysis of the show is something that is just palatable to everybody. You know, it, it like, as a decent analogy, if I had to take 30 people out to dinner, I might not say, hey, we're going to go to a steakhouse or we're going to go have sushi because it's, uh, I, that's going to be difficult for 30 people to all wrap their minds around. But I could say, let's go to, I don't know, let's go to Milestones, for instance, and there's going to be something for everyone. Nobody's going to be really excited about the food. It's not going to be the best, like it's not going to be a Michelin star milestone. But no one's going to be like, well, that was just terrible. I couldn't eat it. It was awful. So it, it hits. So are a lot of these designs off. then just un- inoffensive so that enough people like them that no one is going to hate them so that no matter who watches, you're going to say, oh, that was, you know, that was fine. I kind of liked that. It was, it's the, I'm following the Chip and Joanna Gaines model here with yeah, the, oh with the wood floors, a little bit of off the gray and then some distressed wood and boom, we're done. Let's, uh, let's go out for milestones. <laughs> right. It's. It's really, it's, it, what it removes is the people. And that to me is the sad part is that, you know, I think it's great that, you know, it's not like, you know, you think of your parents' home, they bought a sofa and, you know, they bought that in, you know, 19, I don't know, 57 and it's lasted us 62 years and doesn't it look great? And you're like, wow, it's really staid and boring and, you know, still has no the, that thick grandma. It still has that thick grandma plastic on it, though, that she's never exactly. taken off. Exactly, <laughs> that's right. Because she's waiting for it for a time that's good. Then we can take it off when we have good company. Um, so, but has there ever been, to... Greg? Has there ever been a time though that? And, and I mean, you work with other designers. You work in this world. Has there ever been a time? when it seems that so many designers are all designing the same thing. Because part of you getting into this business, I would think, is because you're a creative person who wants to do creative things. And yet it seems rather than being creative, a lot of people are just saying, I'm just going to go with the flow of what seems to be what everybody wants. Uh, you know, sometimes it makes people feel comfortable to do that sort of thing. And and uh, in the final analysis, you know, it's, your it's your house your money you know will do whatever it is that you want to do so i don't think that i think that's fine but but i think that the job of design is going into people's homes and figuring out what are their problems because to me you know i I think you all we're all just buying a box it's got four walls a floor and a ceiling it's basically just a box and it's almost always some version of square really is there a space that's round and um People try to squish themselves into that box to look a little bit like they saw it in HGTV or that they saw in, you know, Vanity Fair, that they saw in one of the magazines that they read and that they love. And so they try to do all those things and squish themselves in. And I think, no, it's your box. If you if you are a, a, a specific personality type, then there is a bunch of things that solve those things for you. You know, you have you need lots of storage. You 
you know, some people are fastidiously clean. And so I'd say, okay, really simple services work well for this person. They're going to keep it really clean. Whereas other people, not so much. And mm -hmm. so I'm like complicated services. So if there's crumbs on the counter or there's, you know, something has spilled and you didn't get to it right away, you don't always walk into the room and go, oh, this is, it's so messy. I have to clean up and you feel bad because you're making design choices to suit the people who live in the house. Where but if I go even onto realtor.ca right now, which I do, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know why I'm not about to buy a house again. I'm quite happy where I am, but nonetheless, I find myself on there more often than I would like. And if you oh, find, porn. Oh, that, that's probably a good description. Um, and if you find one of the homes that has been recently redone, so many of them look exactly like those homes on the TV flip show. So something, I, I can only assume that people are deciding how to redesign based on what they're seeing. It can't be a fluke. It's, it's coming from somewhere. So those shows are clearly having a huge impact on affecting people's tastes. Absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, to, to my, it does affect people's tastes and they think, you know, finally, when it gets to the point of selling, that's what everybody wants. So this is how we should stage it to sell and all of those kinds of things. But, but in the end, I'm like, you're like, I don't know who lives here, which is sort of the point of staging a house to sell is that I make it so that I, that people who are coming to buy my house feel like they're coming into their new house, not coming to visit me at mine. So personality gets stripped away so that it's just a really blank palette. But it's boring because it's, you know, person. I don't know if you've ever gone to dinner and had to sit next to somebody with no personality. It's oh, I, I do. I do every day. The guy I work with is just a complete dud. <laughs> ben back at the office. No, I'm kidding. No, but yes, we all have we all have done that at one time or another. Where yes, there's someone who's just yeah, I get it. Dead boring, and it's the same. So you're looking at these spaces that are just boring and awful, and and you know they're 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 distracting in their simplicity because. Really, if you're, I mean, he makes this point also in his, in his article is that if you're going to go buy a house, you know, I, I don't like people like, oh, I don't really like the backpack. I'm like, it can be changed. Like that can, I don't like the floors. I can change that. I don't like the paint color. I can change that. I'm not sure about this furniture. None of it is staying. None of it is yours. Let's yeah. look at the house, just the house. Let's go to the basement. What's the foundation like? Is the wiring good? Is the HVAC good? How is the roof? what's been repaired recently, what's not been repaired recently, so that you can sort of say, you know, I can take, I, I, you know, if, I, if I'm going to buy a house with somebody, I say, okay, so, you know, we need to make these just functional repairs. We're going to change your hot water heater and we need to upgrade the, I don't know, we need to upgrade three of the appliances and none of that stuff is ever sexy. Nobody ever comes to your house and says, I can't believe it. It's so beautiful. You've added Decora plugs everywhere. And Oh, this is automated now, and I can't even see the pot lights. It's the light. Nobody says that. They do come and say, wow, the kitchen, the countertop, the backsplash, the hardwood floor, your things is what makes them excited. So I have to say, the things that, the, in terms of budgeting for you to buy this house, I need to leave you know, this amount of money over here because we have to fix this, this, and this. The stairs to the downstairs are, are you know, that, they're all chipping away. That needs to be fixed. We need to fix the parging up along the side of the house so you don't get leaks into the basement. That has to be fixed. And I don't know, your chimney's falling down, so we have to fix that. So I need to say, like, so for sure, we probably need $20,000 just sitting over here to repair. 
then I know how much I have to change the paint, change the backsplash, change the things that right. you want to change in the house. But if I if I you know do an HGTV on it, which is really what the whole shows are about, how do I flip this house? Really, finally, I'm like it putting lipstick on a pig, but you're it's really just gray lipstick, so that there is that's right. It's inoffensive. It's in, it will offend nobody. Nobody's going to love it. Nobody's going to hate it. They'll all be like, oh, this is nice. Is it really different? And, and as, as you're describing this, and I'm thinking, and I don't have a, I mean, the one example that came to mind was about a woman. It could be about a man, but in this case, is it really any different from back 20 years or 25 years ago when every woman seemingly wanted to have Jennifer Aniston's hair from Friends that you see something on TV, it becomes popular and everyone wants to do the same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you if you go through uh, the, the way sort of houses were built, it often follows what's going on on television or, you know, what what's currently interesting in, you know, Architectural Digest or Elle magazine or someplace where people are looking going, oh, that looks really great. And then everybody wants it. Um, it it's sort of how. You know, for the, like a, a couple of years ago, we saw a lot in the pink was in everything. Rosé pink was sort of a big part of, you know, blush was part of the color palette. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's because we're also, you know, we've just looked at a bunch of women's events that, that were, you know, a, you know, sort of political uprisings around uh, Harvey Weinstein and the Me Too movement and all kinds of different things where pink was sort of forever in our purview. We saw hmm. pink again and again and again, and then all of a sudden it was really, really popular in in uh, what was happening in home decor and in clothing. But if people are as tied to those things as they are to, uh, um, you know, what's the latest fashion? They're like, oh, I like that too. But probably because somebody showed it to you. So in effect, HGTV is showing you gray and gray and gray and gray and gray and gray and gray. Um, and and finally, I'm like it looks like a lot of the a lot of the house is so gray. I need a woman with you know hair that's big enough to go to church and you know be closer to God. I need big hair and I need big personalities because what I get in terms of design is um, bland. Mm. I mean, look, styles come and go. We know this. Uh, go back and look at pictures from the 1970s. Uh, very different, but. <laughs> this so this has to fade at some point. This has to change at some point. But this whole idea, this again, this I'll call it the HGTV look. I mean, it seems to have stuck around for a long time. Like, are, are we are we approaching a time when someone does something wild and that whole look goes away, or is this going to be with us for a while? I think it will be with us for a while. I think when you know, in the in the world where people are doing design, not trying to flip a house then those that's that's where you start to see stuff that's beautiful because it's you know I, i've invested in it i i want to make my home my sanctuary and i've i've invested in the things that i am passionate about so you know i may have a client who is really excited about cooking and so i'm like great we'll spend more money on things like appliances and you know that give you way more features and benefits because you care about that and you like it and if you know that's when design is beautiful when it's all about um, where we take away personalities. Like in personality, I get a great wine cellar. I get somebody who's like really excited to have an emerald green sofa and I don't hmm. know, two chairs that are ruby red in the same room with an exciting carpet and great wallpapers and um, backsplashes that are interesting. 
you know, if I'm going to do, I mean, as you said, if I'm going to do a shower in subway tile, it's because it's inexpensive. It looks nice. It looks nice enough. Um, and I can put it up really quickly. And it, per, the cost per tile is really low. But I've also yeah. done backsplashes in people's homes that is, you know, laser cut marble that looks like sort of a garden in, in versions of, you know, in rose colors that are, you know, warm blues and down to grays and whites that you can't even tell where the scene is. It's really extraordinary and a fortune comparatively. So if I'm trying to flip, I'm just trying to make it boring. But that's not design. That's not, it doesn't leave you a beautiful house. The house becomes beautiful when you take that relatively bland background and say, you know, we got this great piece of art when we were, I don't know, wherever, and we love this, and we're going to stick this up here. And there are things that are found, objects that are truly found. Like the, the, the this thing about the barn door slider that's not even real. You know, if, it, if you actually found it off an old train car and put it up in the house with, a, yeah. you know, an old door, I'd be like, cool, because it's got personality. But but when I when I do a faux version of this thing, it's just like it's you know it's not interesting anymore. Like if you got it at the dollar store, it's not interesting. It's it's not necessarily about cost. It you can find amazing things in on the side of the road and paint them and make amazing things. But it's got personality. Yeah, this has got to this we got to run we got to run great. But this is this has got to be potentially very soon really good for business because again when when this HGTV thing with all gray and subway tiles when this passes, everybody who's done this with their house thinking I'm so in style is immediately all going to want to change. You're going to be so busy you won't know what to do with yourself. From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of designers with a lot of work i would think when uh when that happens uh, glenn peloso creative pre principal at glenn peloso design go look him up online you can find him there you'll see him on chch from time to time as well good uh, on uh, morning live really appreciate you taking the time today thanks for chatting about this it's a pleasure i'll talk to you soon and may you not have a great day the scott radley show weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 chml the Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.